But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalms 1 verses 2 and 3. Hello again, and welcome to the Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. My name is Tyler Alverson, and with me is my good friend, Andy Baumberger. Hey, Tyler. It's good to be here. We, we're we uh, recording a podcast for the second week in a row. Look at us. I know. We hadn't done that in a while. Uh, I'm glad that we're getting back around to it. Yeah, like we talked about last week, we, we've got that. We've got a renewed commitment. And uh, really uh, looking forward to uh, finally finishing up uh, the book of the book of Micah uh, today. So um, that'll be that'll be really exciting. And this is a really good chapter. Um, a lot of encouraging stuff. A lot of relevant stuff, as we talked about all throughout Micah and and, and every every book we've looked to um, in the Bible, of course. Um, but uh, really, really happy to be back at it again today. Absolutely, the dramatic conclusion to the. The book of Micah's coming today, and uh, I don't know if it's so dramatic. It's a great chapter. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it dramatic. And uh, I guess we'll have to decide about a, a direction to go for next week. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Maybe maybe we'll shift back to the New Testament uh, after uh, going with a couple uh, uh, books of prophecy in the Old Testament. But we'll we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll we'll leave that as a surprise. I mean, for. Based on right now, it's kind of a surprise yeah, it's, to us. It'll be a surprise. We haven't talked about it. It'll be a it's surprise definitely, for everyone. For everyone yeah, definitely involved. going to be a surprise uh, to our to our listeners. And uh, appreciate we, everybody tuning in today. We promise we won't just open up our Bible and you know uh, start wherever our finger lands. That <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll put some thought into it before next time. <laughs> there you go. That's absolutely right. But hey, even if we were to do that, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, Andy. So that's uh, right. Well, maybe maybe a future season we can do that. That will really it will really mix it up. There you go. Um, well, what about Micah chapter seven, Andy? Um, looking back to where we were last week in Micah chapter six, and where we have been in this study uh, throughout the book of Micah, going back uh, several months now. Um, what are we going to be looking at in Micah chapter seven? If you kind of want to maybe just introduce us to this chapter a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about what we're going to find. Yeah, yeah, I think it's always important to just refresh our memory on on the context here. Kind of the banner that we've put over this whole study of Micah is is these two ideas of, of justice and hope, uh, thinking about the judgment and justice that, that God's bringing on his people, that he's pronouncing on his people, but also uh, the hope that he promises, um, the mercy that he offers to his people, the, the way of renewal and restoration that he wants for his people that have turned away uh, from him. And I, see, I think we're going to see uh, those ideas that we've seen throughout Micah uh, culminate here. Uh, we're going to see them again. Uh, if you remember uh, from last time in Micah chapter 6, there's this courtroom scene where where God is accusing uh, the people for, for their unfaithfulness. And we see kind of a back and forth uh, response where the people are exasperated. Uh, what, what do you want from me? And, and God, uh, Micah, uh, God through the prophet Micah says, you know, he's, he's told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. And then kind of the final part of the chapter that we talked about last week, is again God saying that I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you know this injustice into account. I'm going to bring uh, judgment, and so we're gonna see that idea uh, played out again in chapter seven. Um, we're gonna see kind of the response of of Micah, where I think he we'll talk about this some more, but I think he's uh, trying to speak on behalf of of the people um, and but also speak to the hope that, that God has promised, the compassion that God has for his people and the forgiveness that can be found. So um, that's just kind of a brief overview of what we're going to talk about. And 
we're going to get into the details as we walk through the verses. Is there anything else, Tyler, that we need to mention to kind of set up our context here? As I was reading a little bit about uh, Micah chapter 7 and uh, kind of just thinking introductory level, in a commentary that Thomas Edward McComsky wrote, um, sorry, Thomas, if I butchered your last name, um, but he, he, he wrote something that I think is, is really helpful, uh, something uh, that I wish I could take claim for, but I'm going to give him the credit for it. He, he wrote, like a day that begins with a dark foreboding sky, but ends in golden sunlight, this chapter begins in an atmosphere of gloom and ends in one of the greatest statements of hope in all of the Old Testament. So we're going to see a, a progression. Uh, it's going to be um, kind of gloomy whenever we look in the first six verses, but then as we continue throughout the rest, seeing how God is going to act on behalf of his people and also reflecting on how God acts for us today through our Lord Jesus, I think when we come to the end of the chapter, we're going to be brought uh, to praise our God and to recognize that there's nobody else like him. Um, so looking forward to going through this chapter and uh, talking about the different things that it presents to us. Um, I guess the next thing would be to read, Andy, if, um, if we don't have anything else we want to mention. Yeah, let's um, do it. Let's, uh, you want to just read through the whole chapter, like typically our practice is, then we'll go back and walk through it. That sounds good. Okay. Well, I made you read first last time, so I can read first this time. All right. Um, I'll take the first 10 and you take the last 10. How about that? Sounds great. Chapter seven, book of Micah, beginning in verse one, he says, woe is me for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundaries shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead, as in days of old, as in days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands, uh, they shall lay their hands on their mouths, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, partying iniquity and passing over transgression for the, for the remnant of his inheritance? He has not retained his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He again will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast 
all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Awesome. So looking back at uh, going back to the very first verse of Micah chapter seven and those first three words, I think as Micah is going to speak uh, not only for himself, but also for the nation of Israel, you know, chapter six, we saw that uh, they refused to uh, uh, to uh, take uh, they refused to take credit for their own sin. They didn't own up to it. And here Micah seems to do that not only for himself but on the people. He begins with the words "Woe is me," which I think shows his heart whenever he looks at the sinfulness of the people of God, the sinfulness of Israel. He responds to that with hurt and with pain. Uh, Andy, what do you think about those those first few words? Yeah, I think I think uh, Micah is trying to give a, a picture of what our response should be when we when we see our sin, when we see uh, the the reality of it, the the darkness of it, um, the 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 loneliness of it. Um, I think uh, this is this is the kind of uh, humility that 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 we need, and um, it also I think this whole section here shows the, the the dire consequences of of sin and the way that affects us, the way that affects our relationship with God, the way that reflect uh, affects our relationship with with other other people. So I think uh, all of that is is wrapped up in what uh, Micah is saying here. I think that's exactly right, that whenever we, whenever we see sin, sometimes uh, when we look out into the world, people respond to that by thinking it's funny, thinking it's a joke, thinking it's some kind of game, thinking it's not that big of a deal. And when Micah is confronted with the sinfulness of Israel, he says, woe is me, the, the sorrow is upon me. It kind of reminds me of the Apostle Paul in the third chapter of Philippians when he talks about those who are many uh, who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul says, I'm talking to you about them with tears streaming down my face. Whenever we encounter sinfulness, it's something that should break our hearts because it's, it's really something that, that breaks God's heart. And so as he shows his heart, Micah in this by saying, woe is me, he continues on to talk about the sinfulness of the nation of Israel. He pictures walking out into a field and looking for fruit that's already been gathered, looking for grapes that have already been gleaned. You walk out, there was fruit there at one time, but it's not there any longer. It's already been taken. He says in the same way in verse 2, the godly has perished from the earth. There's no one upright among mankind. Hey, go out and look for fruit on the tree. Go look for grapes on the vine. Oh, they're not there. Look at the nation of Israel. Look at what for what used to be there. Look for a godly, look for an upright person. They're not there either. And perhaps this is an exaggeration. I'm sure that there was a remnant that God had of people who were dedicated to him, people who were faithful to him. But in the way that that Micah talks about it, Using this kind of language, he's emphasizing the great sinfulness of this nation. Yeah, and he's he's you know there's this there's a sense of despair that's coming through in his words here. The sense of of discouragement and uh, recognizing you know how wicked uh, you know the nation has become. You see this echoed at different points in uh, Israel's history. You know, it makes me think about. Uh, Elijah, where he's he's kind of crying out to God, saying, am, "Am I the only one left that's that's trying to do what's what's right?" And there's other times uh, throughout Israel's history where it seems like the whole nation has just descended into this chaos and idolatry and wickedness and and sin. And so he's he's looking he's looking for uh, something good, but he's he's not finding it. And so there's. There is, uh, we're like we mentioned earlier, we're going to see some some hope as we continue on here. But I think what we're being set up for is really the the uh, 
uh, severity of this situation, the, the seeming hopelessness of this situation because of what uh, Israel has become uh, in relation uh, to uh, disobedience uh, to God's ways. Yes. Uh, and as we continue uh, throughout this passage, he's going to go into a little more detail about that sinfulness, about that evil that existed there that he's so uh, discouraged about that's causing so much pain in his heart. The first thing that he mentions at the end of verse two is that they are they're violent against one another, that they all lie in wait for blood. Each hunts the other with a net. They're attacking one another. And instead of coming together, instead of living together in harmony, the Bible teaches us that it is a pleasant and beautiful thing when brothers dwell together in unity. Well, you don't have that here. They're fighting against one another. They're violent against one another. Um, what do you think about that, Andy? This is a this is a pretty pretty divided community, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the picture that we're seeing here, and it only makes sense when each person's desire is to do do what what I want, what what they want. Uh, if if we're all uh, you know ignoring God's will and God's way, and we're trying to to, to do things our way, as judges put it, when each person does what is right in their own eyes, um, it's, it's going to necessarily lead to violence. It's going to necessarily lead to division because I, I now have to impose my will on uh, you. And this is not the way that uh, Israel was supposed to behave in the world. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be different from the nations. They were supposed to be unified in their identity in who in who god was and then this disunity that you're talking about i think it's even heightened as you look uh into verse four if you look into verse uh five and six as well uh where uh, micah is saying the best of them is like a briar the most upright of them a thorn hedge i think that the picture that or the idea that he's getting at there is even the even the most righteous people even the best people you have to watch out for that's a thorny situation. Even they uh, are not to be trusted truly. And then he talks about the end of verse four, the, the day of your watchman, the day of your punishment has come. So this uh, judgment is going to come. And we've talked about before how it seems like Mike is referring to the judgment coming at the hands of Assyria. We know uh, that's uh, how it's going to be for the Northern kingdom of Israel. And also eventually for the Southern kingdom of Judah, they're going to be, judged at the hand of Babylon. And so he's saying, you know, as that judgment's coming, there's going to be even more mistrust. That sense of division is going to be heightened. It's going to be each person for themselves. You're not going to be able to trust your neighbor, verse 5. You're not going to be able to have confidence in a friend. People are going to be uh, turning you over to your enemy. Uh, even families are going to have contempt for one another. And so this is just a really uh, another stark uh image of uh, how far things have gone uh, in Israel. You're right. They, they had gone so far that they were, you see this violence against one another. Verse three is also another uh, kind of verse that stands out when you talk about the sinfulness of Israel at this time, their hands on what is evil to do it well. What were they good at? They were good at doing bad stuff. They were good at, at doing evil. They, he says that they were very skilled in doing that. They, they put their hands to do on what is evil, and they do a great job at it. Um, you can kind of see some, some irony there. I think it starts uh, in verse 3, uh, the last part of verse 3, with the leaders. It's something that uh, started with those who were in authority. The leaders were corrupt, and so, of course, that's going to work its way down to the people. When they weave together these schemes, Andy, like you mentioned just a few minutes ago, to get what they want because they're focused on themselves. And so they weave, they weave together all of these plans and conspiracies and schemes to take advantage of people and to get the things that they want. And I, as you said, it stands out in verses 5 and 6 that, in this kind of society, you couldn't trust anybody. You couldn't trust your friend. You couldn't trust your wife. He says you, you need to make sure you guard the doors of your mouth from the, the woman who's lying in your arms, the person who you should be closest to. Well, you, you can't trust her. 
uh, that that sons are going to rise up against fathers, daughters are going to rise up against mothers, daughter-in-laws are going to rise up against their mother-in-laws. Families completely fell apart. And when you see families falling apart, it really doesn't take long for the society as a whole to fall apart. And that, of course, could have a lot of modern application. Uh, but we look back at verses 1 through 6, and, and it's doom and gloom. It's sinfulness. It's all of these bad things happening, fighting against each other. Leaders are corrupt. Families are falling apart. And this day of punishment is coming. Like you said, Andy, the Assyrians coming into the northern kingdom or the Babylonians coming into the southern kingdom, that is out on the horizon. So as we look forward to what Micah says throughout the rest of this chapter, we see a great transition. We see a great shift where it goes from gloom to hope. And that hope is really based on how the Lord is going to act and how what, what God is going to do on behalf of his people. Yeah, that's right. And it's a, it's a, it's a theme that we see throughout the prophets that, uh, you know, the, the prophets don't hide from the reality of sin, the reality of judgment, the darkness of it. Uh, but almost every, every, uh, uh, prophetic book in the old Testament has this, uh, looking forward to hope. Um, because of who God is, because of his character, because of his faithfulness, not because of the faithfulness of his people, but because as what as what you mentioned there, because of what God has done and what he has promised uh, to do. And so I think we see that transition, that contrast begin in verse seven. Micah has talked about in the first six verses how bad things are. And then he starts out verse seven but by saying, but as for me. I will look to the Lord. So Micah is is positioning himself in contrast to, uh, you know, some of the unfaithful leaders of Israel. He's done that before earlier in the book where he's talked about uh, certain other prophets and preachers that uh, are not telling the people the things that are they need to hear that are true. I mean, but he says, I am filled with power and the spirit of the Lord to proclaim justice. Maybe there's a similar idea here, but I think he's also um, showing us what it what it looks like. He's giving us a paradigm of the response that we should have um, as people who are sinful and recognize our sin. And we we what what do we do about that in a situation like this? What do we do in this darkness? What where do we turn? And Micah is is showing us where the hope is to be found. It, it comes when you look to the Lord. Yes, you have to see the sin. You have to see the truth of that. You have to be convicted of that. Um, but hope is found in looking to the Lord, waiting for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. It's not found in, uh, I'm just tr- going to try to do better. I'm just going to try to improve. It's, it's relying on God's salvation, his rescue, his deliverance, his faithfulness. And I think we'll see how that plays out even more as we walk through it but uh what what do you have to say about uh what micah is is writing here yeah it's it's a really powerful shift and a really powerful contrast what's the opposite of all of those things that we just talked about them being skilled in evil and even the best of them are still like a briar and a thorn hedge i think the the opposite of all of that sin is exactly what you said exactly what micah says looking to god setting our eyes on him, being patient for him, waiting for the God of my salvation. And as we continue throughout this text, it's going to shift to to the future tense throughout the majority of it, that these are things that God will do. Right now, it doesn't look so good. Right now, we see all of this division and fighting and violence and contempt. But as we look to the future, God's going to do something. And he's going to act in his faithfulness. He is going to act on behalf of his people. And I think the first thing that Micah mentions is in verse 7, God will hear me. And that's an amazing thing that when we think about prayer and we think about the opportunity to talk to God, it's amazing to think that God listens to what we have to say. God listens whenever we cry out to him in the midst of so much difficulty and then in the midst of so much sin and uh, so much violence and contempt, God is willing to listen 
to our voices. And uh, as we continue, we're going to see some of the other things uh, that God will do. What stands out to you, Andy, looking, looking forward about all of these God will statements and these things will happen? Uh, which one of those uh, stands out to you? Which, which one of those do you want to mention first? Yeah, I mean, I, I love what I love what you're saying there about uh, verse seven. My God will hear me. I think that's such a comfort that in our brokenness, in our shame, uh, in our you know, in our uh, in our sin, uh, God God hears us if we look to Him, if we cry out to Him in our desperation. Um, he hears us, and then you know, just kind of continuing on, uh, I love verse eight. Uh, is such a beautiful image there. He says, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Again, talking about this future, this trust and the future promises of, of God. And I love verse eight there because um, to your point earlier, if you're just looking at the situation right now that Mike and the people of Israel are in, it doesn't look good. And, and to some observers, it might look like God has abandoned, abandoned them. And it might look uh, in the case of Israel's enemies, it might look, Oh, this is an opportunity for us. We're rejoicing that that Israel has been brought low, that, you know, God's chosen people, people who claim to be God's chosen people have experienced this devastation and, and punishment and uh, disarray that's caused by this division and, and sinfulness. Um, but Micah has this confidence that that's not going to be the end of the story. That's not, that's not go what's going to be the end of me. I, I recognize uh, a fall is going to come, but I'm going to, I'm going to rise. I recognize that it's, it's darkness right now. I'm sitting in that darkness um, I think that's just a powerful image that that really resonates with me sitting in that darkness, in that moment of despair, in that moment of helplessness. What does Micah have confidence in? The Lord will be a light to me. The Lord's light moves into that darkness, moves into that place where I'm sitting and, and shines in hope and shines in truth and shines in redemption and so my enemies don't don't rejoice over me because I know that there is a hope and there is a victory uh, in what in what God is planning to do and God how God is planning to work even in this darkness that I'm sitting in right now. Um, but that's not going to be where I am forever. That's exactly right. That uh, Micah is talking about how he. They are collectively, I think, of course, we said he's collectively speaking here, not just for himself. But he says, we're going to fall. We're going to sit in darkness. And in, in verse 9, he says, we're going to bear this indignation from God. The, the indignation, the, the wrath that God has against us for our sins, the punishment that God is bringing on us for our sins, which we mentioned just a few minutes ago, back in verse number 4, your punishment has come. Your confusion is at hand. He says, we're going to bear that because, because we deserve it. We're, 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 we're going to bear this discipline and punishment from God because we have sinned against him. We have brought on ourselves. But like you said, Andy, it's not the end of the story. He says, we'll bear it, and we're going to go through it, and we're going to stand underneath it because we brought it on ourselves. But there's going to be a day that comes when God pleads my case and God is going to execute judgment for me. God's going to do what's just. He's going to do what's right. He's going to act on behalf of his people. He's going to plead the cause of his people and the end result, he'll bring me out to the light. We just said, and Andy just talked about how the Lord will be a light to them. It's not saying that he's going to give them light, but he's going to be their light in verse eight. But then you look in verse 9, he will bring me out to the light. And in other words, he's going to vindicate us. He's going to save us. He's going to set us free. And in that, not only are we going to be set free, but our enemies are going to be defeated. Those who brought shame on us, those who asked 
and saw us when, when we were being conquered, when we were being suffering, when we were suffering, when we were being taken into captivity, those who asked the question, where is the Lord your God? Those who looked down on us and asked, where, where's your God in the midst of this? Why, why is he not saving you? Why is he not delivering you? He says, our eyes will look upon them and they're going to be trampled down like mud in the streets. That God is going to, to deliver his people and defeat their enemies, uh, which really stands well with when I fall, I'm going to rise sitting in darkness. There's going to be light uh, provides a little bit more detail for that in verses nine and 10. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I just want to go back to verse nine that you were talking about there. I like how you point out the the contrast of, okay, they're, they're accepting responsibility for that sin. They're recognizing that they're going to, they're going to, bear this indignation that they uh, deserve, but then the tables are going to turn. And I think it's important to note uh, this legal language that's being used again. Remember in chapter six that we talked about last time, uh, the whole kind of setup for that chapter was this uh, legal uh, jargon being used where where God is bringing his case against his own people, um, Israel, and you know, it's it's almost like Micah is saying here in verse verse nine, we're we're accepting the penalty, we're accepting the judgment of that verdict there, uh, but we also know that that God is going to be our advocate. He's going to be our he's going to be our lawyer. He's going to plead for our cause, and he's going to also be the judge because he's going to execute judgment uh, for us. So again. Uh, we recognize we're not deserving of his mercy. We're recognized that we deserve this punishment. But at the same time, uh, the one who is judging us is also the one who is going to fight for us and the one who loves us and uh, the one who is our who are is our advocate, which I, I can't help but, uh, you know, think about the way that Jesus is described in the New, New Testament as our advocate for sinners not not our advocate because we're innocent and he's proving us innocent but even in our uh guilt and even in our uh condom what was condemnation uh, christ speaks for us on our behalf because of his faithfulness and because of his of his mercy and then as you were talking about tyler it's extended out into verse 10 where god's going to bring justice and judgment on israel's enemies who uh, are going to you know use this dark moment in their history for their advantage they're going to uh, commit evil and injustice toward God's people uh, but again that's not going to last forever um, God's going to make those things right first John chapter 2 and verse 1 uh, perhaps a verse that you were alluding to Andy um, if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and uh, we'll we'll reflect more on this uh, perhaps when we get to the end of of this section about this hope that they have for the future. But a lot of these things, I think we can take them and apply them not just to Israel in their circumstances and how they're going to be taken into captivity and how God's going to act in those circumstances, but also have uh, great implications for us today who are a part of the kingdom of Jesus who are connected to the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And one of those things is Jesus Christ standing as our advocate, pleading our case before the Father because he knows what it's like to be a human and he knows how hard life can be sometimes. So uh, we're definitely going to return uh, back to that and fill that in just a little bit more. I couldn't uh, help but, myself there, you know. I yeah, hey, no. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out uh, because, I mean, it's, it's great to know that we have Jesus Christ as our advocate, one who is, is pleading our case before the Father when we do sin. Uh, that's what we have when we sin in First John chapter 2 and verse 1. And uh, what, a, what a great blessing that is. Uh, you just wanted to beat me to the punch, I think. That's right. That's right. That's all it was. <laughs> As we continue uh, to verses 11 through 13, I think we see a restoration that's going to take place. We see prosperity that's going to be restored for the children of Israel, especially in the building of the walls. If, if you're going to build a city back in this time, the first thing you're going to do is build walls to keep people out that you don't want in the city. 
And so these walls that are destroyed are going to be rebuilt and even that boundary being extended and all of these uh, different individuals from different nations flowing into uh, the nation of Israel, flowing in and becoming a part of this people, the earth uh, being made desolate while Israel prospers the rest is going to be judged and, and made desolate, which is a great reversal because we saw in their punishment Israel being made desolate. But then uh, fast forward a little bit later into what God is going to do. The earth is going to be desolate because of the fruit of their deeds, because of their sin. They'll experience the same kind of punishment that Israel experienced for their sin. Um, so what do you see in that restoration, that prosperity in 11 through 13? Yeah, I think the I think restoration is the the right word for it. And then there's this hope that um, it's it's going to even be better than it was before. The boundary lines are going to be extended, and I think it's going to be a, the promise is a renewal and a restoration of Israel's purpose. As I alluded to earlier, uh, they were called from the very beginning to be a light to the nations, and I think we see that here. Um, God certainly is going to uh, bring justice on Israel's enemies, but the, uh, in, in, in a certain sense, some of these nations are also going to be drawn to uh, God's, God's people. I think there's a connection with uh, chapter 4 that we saw with the, the mountain of the house of the Lord, uh, where uh, people, all peoples are going to flow to it. I think there's a similar idea uh, here uh, as well. And so there is... Uh, there's going to be a uh, renewal of, of prosperity, of joy, of hope um, in God's covenant people. And they're going to uh, be, uh, once again, what, what God has called them to be. Well said. Uh, and then uh, verses 14 through 17, uh, just kind of reiterate some of the themes that we've already seen. Uh, verse 14 is an invitation to God to come and to shepherd his people it's kind of neat whenever leslie and i were in the uh the bible lands on the the trip with freed hardman uh the first thing that we saw whenever we got out of the airport we were going down a major highway and on the side of the highway was a shepherd with his staff and his sheep following in behind him and micah's inviting god to take that place with his people shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest. Um, Andy, what when, when when you see that that phrase, those who dwell alone in a forest, what is what is God? Uh, what is Micah suggesting there about the people of Israel dwelling alone in a forest and then grazing in Bashan and Gilead? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I think there's some different ways of, of looking at that, but I think kind of the idea in connection with the, the shepherd imagery that you're talking about is something that Micah is, has been getting at throughout uh, the book that we've seen in other parts is that really what, what has gotten Israel into trouble in the first place is when they have refused the leading of the shepherd, when they have refused to uh, follow uh, the guidance of, of God. And uh, Micah uses the, the shepherd imagery several uh, times throughout the book. I'm thinking specifically about uh, chapter five that we talked about this great shepherd king that's going to come. It's going to be like David, but better than David. And he's going to be this protector and, and guide and leader that, that Israel needs. And so I like how you put it there that this is an invitation. God be with us. God guide us. Lord, we, we're, we're, we're repenting. We're, we're turning away um, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in, in a forest. I think uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you have a different idea here, but maybe what that's getting at is that, um, you know, we're, we're alone. We're lost. We are, um, we, we don't know the direction to go and we need your staff. We need your uh, guidance. We need your, to be that light. Uh, to us, as as Micah talked about earlier, um, what what was your perspective on it? Yeah, I, that's one of the interpretations uh, that I read. That uh, this is, you know, with this invitation, shepherd us, lead us, guide us, 
it is saying uh, that, uh, you know, we need you and it's uh, we're we're here, we're alone, we're lost and, and we need you to shepherd us. I also saw some commentators that suggested that uh, this could be uh, talking about the holiness of Israel, that they're dwelling alone in a forest when they're shepherded by God. They're going to be set apart from the rest of the world and set apart for God, uh, maybe. Um, and then maybe this could refer to protection, how a shepherd protects his sheep. God is going to keep them alone in a forest, and they're going to graze in Bashan and Gilead, which were um, places that were uh, very fertile and very lush, places that would be good for grazing. And God is going to protect them there and put his hand over them there. Perhaps a combination of all of those ideas as God is invited to be the shepherd of his people and to occupy that position. And then, yeah, go, go ahead, Andy. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, yeah, I like that, that second perspective as well. Um, I think you could, you could see it there as, uh, like kind of like what you're saying, um, you know, dwelling in the midst of the garden land, uh, who dwell alone in the forest in the midst of a garden land. I think you can connect that to this, this Eden imagery, uh, this, again, this uh, holy nation that God has set apart, that's in uh, his presence uh, in this lush promised land. And then they are being this, this uh, light to the nations like we're, we're talking about. So I think, I think either way could work. And, and uh, I think the, like you're saying there, I think the major idea is that God's going to be in their midst and God's going to be the one uh, leading them as their shepherd, which I just, I just really love that, that picture and that imagery that really is consistent throughout the in, in entire Bible. There's such a, such a tenderness there, but also a, a kind of discipline and a kind of humility, you know, that we're, we're this, uh, these dumb sheep really that need uh, this help uh, so desperately from a loving and, and gracious and, uh, 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 wise shepherd. Absolutely right. And then I'll jump ahead on this one. You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus talks about how he is the good shepherd and uh, what a humbling thing it is to invite Jesus into that position in our lives. So often we think that we have it all together. So often we think that we have everything figured out, but then to invite Jesus, the good shepherd to say to lead me. I need you to guide me uh, because this is something that, that I can't do on my own. So there, there were balanced out, Andy, both of us have, have jumped ahead a little bit. There you go. I thought about yeah. saying it, but I, I figured I'd let you have that one. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's a, <laughs> uh, that's very, that's very gracious. Um, yeah. The, just the last couple of things in 15 and uh, 16, 17, uh, he talks about, Micah talks about how God's going to do some pretty amazing things, like in the days when they came out of the land of Egypt. Like we're talking like 10 plagues level or parting of the Red Sea level. I, I'm going to do some miraculous and amazing and marvelous things, and you're just going to be amazed by that. And verses uh, 16 and 17 talks about how the nations are going to see those things, much like Egypt did, and they're going to be ashamed. Uh, of all of their might they're going to lay their hands on their mouths their their ears shall be deaf it's talking about how god when they see the powerful works of god the nations are going to be humbled and they're going to recognize i believe it's what psalm chapter 2 mentions that they are but mere men uh, they're going to recognize how much greater god is than they are and they're going to turn in dread to him and be in fear of his name um so, Andy, any thoughts on, on the rest of that passage there about what God is going to do on behalf of his people? Uh, if not, then maybe you could go ahead and kick us off a little bit on uh, inviting this into our lives and talking about uh, what God will do for us. Well, you know, I always have more to say. So I've got a, a couple of things that just stood out to me in, in 15 through 17 there. Um, you know, as you're talking about, he's calling back to to Egypt and, and the Exodus and what happened there, which is something that Mike has done several times as well. Um, and I think the idea there is when God is your shepherd, when God is in the midst of his people, amazing things happen and God triumphs 
over evil. And I like the the picture there uh, in verse 17 is what is talking about the defeat of God's enemies and Israel's enemies. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. I think this, again, is calling back to this Genesis imagery um, and God's promise to triumph over the over the serpent and triumph over evil, even amidst his people's uh, unfaithfulness. I think there's there, that's a idea that that we see there. And um, again, just just a a reminder for God's people to put their trust in him, to let him be their leader and their king and, and the shepherd um, that Micah has talked about and Micah has has promised uh, uh, as, as they're looking to God and what he can do in their lives. Very well said. Very well said. You, you always do have more to say, but I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> well, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Usually it's pretty good. Yeah. Keyword usually. Yeah. If it's, um, if it's not, just cut me off. Just, you know, put me <laughs> and on moving on. Uh, yeah. Moving on. Um, <laughs> well, Andy, let's take a second to think about how we can, um, invite this into our lives and to think about what God specifically has uh, done for us through Jesus. How about that? I always love to do that. That's, I think that's how we have to read uh, the Bible. That's how uh, Jesus saw the old Testament. He saw it as pointing toward himself. And um, I think the, the connections are clear and we've, we've alluded to it uh, throughout uh, that, uh, we have a promise and we have a sure hope in, in Jesus and in what he can do for us, the victory that he brings for his glory. Uh, when, we're, when we're sinful, we're, we're in that moment where we recognize who we are. We recognize um, really our, our, our great need before God and we're sitting in darkness and we don't know where to go, what to do. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world. He is that light that comes down to us and brings that redemption that we cannot do for ourselves. And it's, it's not just the forgiveness he brings, which, which that is a great thing, but he also, uh, he also leads us out into the light and he vindicates us and he, he shepherds us into a new way of life. And as you're talking about as the good shepherd, he lays down his life so that we can see the path forward so that we know uh, how to live in a new way. And we can trust that even when things are not going well, even when um, I have created this chaos and catastrophe in my own life, as Israel has done, um, if I look to the Lord and I am turning my eyes to him and what he can do for me and in me and through Jesus, then that's when I know that I, I can have a hope of a victory for, for his glory. Very relatable. I think whenever we look at uh, the first six verses of the chapter and we could, we could really just come down hard on Israel for their sin. But I think we, in many ways we see ourselves there that oftentimes uh, we're the ones who are hurtful. Oftentimes we're the ones who are, uh, in contempt, the ones who can't be trusted. Oftentimes, we're the ones who are fighting against one another, those who are really good at doing bad stuff. I don't know about you, but sometimes I see myself there. Isn't it awesome to know that the same promises that God made to Israel, he's, he's made to us. The problem is our sin, but when we look to the Lord and we wait for the God of our salvation, he's going to listen to us. And like Andy, what what you said that whenever we fall, Jesus causes us to rise. Whenever we're sitting in darkness, Jesus is the light of the world. As we said, Jesus is our advocate. He's the one pleading our case. He's the one who's going to do what is just when we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the one who will one day defeat every enemy that stands against us. First Corinthians 15 says, that the last enemy to be destroyed is death on the day when Jesus returns. Jesus is the only one who can provide true restoration. When I've messed myself up and I've, like you said, created so much chaos and confusion in my life through the decisions that I've made, 
Jesus is the only one who can restore. Jesus is the only one who can get, grant true prosperity. When we invite him to be the shepherd of our lives, verse 14, he's going to do marvelous things in us and through us, verse 15. And it, it brings us to humility that, that when people look at our lives, they shouldn't see us, but instead they should be motivated to fear God and to fear his name, to have a great respect for him, that people look at us Lord, and are led to glorify him like Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. So uh, very relatable uh, stuff, powerful ideas for our lives as, as followers of Jesus. Yeah, it's it's always it's always a comfort, it's always an encouragement, and but it's really always striking how, and we should know this, but how relevant, you know, these texts are to our lives. Uh, people of Israel are not so different from us. They had a different context, they had a different culture, they had a different uh, historical situation than than we are. But same God, same 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 lord and and we have you know they they had confidence in these promises micah has confidence in these promises but we have even greater confidence we have even fuller assurance through jesus and what he has done for us and um i don't i don't want to get too far ahead but it it makes me think of, of the last section here is that you know this hope that that micah is setting out before the people here about what the lord can and will do that hope is based on God's character, based on God's nature, based on God's compassion. And for us, uh, we have we have that that the fullness of that grace and compassion and love and forgiveness revealed to us in the person of of Christ um, as we see him uh, in the word. Um, and I think that is such a, a great place for, for Micah to leave off this this book as he's really extolling and, and elevating who God is. You know, I think I think in a way of saying, you know, if you have any doubt about these promises, if you have any doubt about what what this hope that I'm I'm presenting to you, just look at who God is. There's not a God like him. And that's what he says in verse 18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance and you might even remember that we talked about when we were introducing Micah that the name Micah uh, is connected to what he says there in in verse 18 that that name means uh, who is a God like Yahweh who is a God like our God and uh, God's compassion his forgiveness is uh, incomparable Uh, it is uh, astounding it's overwhelming and that's what Micah is really rooting all of what he's saying in is is who God is, and he's he's ending by praising God for for that character that is so beautifully displayed to his people. Whenever we look at what God is going to do for us and how God is going to act and the promises that He makes, we can't help but praise God. We can't help but fall on our knees and to uh, praise him for his character, to praise him for his action in our lives. And I think that's what Micah finds himself in, in uh, verses 18 through 20. After walking through everything that God is going to do on behalf of his people, I imagine him just bursting out with praise. Like he can't even control Like the thinking about how great God is and all of these great things that God is going to do, it's, it's immediately followed with the question, who is a God like you? And he goes on to describe who this God is. Andy, you read parting, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression. He doesn't retain anger forever. He delights in steadfast love. He will again. He did it one time, but he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Much like we said, the nations, the enemies of Israel are going to be tread on like mud on the street. Here, he's going to take our iniquities and put them under his feet. They don't matter anymore. He's walking on top of them. And then uh, one of my favorite descriptions of forgiveness in the entire Bible, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. One time, uh, Leslie and I were at the beach and the waves were pretty big that day. And a big wave came up and hit Leslie right in the face. Now, I may or may not have been holding her 
as the wave was coming so that it would hit her. I'm not going to admit to anything, especially since this is being recorded. Oh, you uh, definitely but, were. You definitely Well, were. you weren't there. Uh, so he, Leslie ended up getting hit in the face with this big wave and she lost her sunglasses, which were like $2. She was upset about it, but she lost her $2 pair of sunglasses and they went out into the ocean. Well, we minutes kind of trying to feel around and, and see if we could find her sunglasses. Couldn't find it. We weren't out in the depths of the sea. It was like maybe up to my waist. Um, we weren't very far at all, but this beautiful picture of if God takes your sin and casts it into the depths of the sea, it's not anymore. It's gone. It's not able to be found any longer about how he's going to be faithful. And once again, that idea of steadfast love, the covenant love and faithfulness that he has for his people, as he promised it, he's going to give it. And so you, you read through God's character in 18 through 20, and you go back to that question, who is a God like you? What's the answer? There's not one. Uh, there's there is not a God who is like our God, a God who can be described in this way. Yeah, just beautiful words to to capture this beautiful reality about who God is and what he what he does for us. And I like you. I love that that image of being, you know, him trampling our iniquities underfoot and casting our sins in the depths of the sea. That, that idea of trampling underfoot. It, again, that reminds me of that that uh, crushing the head of the serpent idea, you know, this, this victory that God is winning over evil, this uh, triumph that he has over our sins uh, and then casting our sins in the depths of the sea. Sometimes we, we have, we have trouble forgiving ourselves. We have trouble, uh, you know, uh, wondering if God, if God could forgive us and, we, we're trying to hold on to these sins that, that God has thrown into the depths of the sea that they're, they're so far gone, they can't be found. Um, and we need to constantly remind ourselves of this, the greatness of God's mercy. And I love, I love the, the phrase there in, in the end of verse 18, he delights in steadfast love. Sometimes we think that when we come to God asking for forgiveness, he is, uh, wringing his hands, he's reluctant. He's saying, "Oh, you know, here, here he is again, asking for forgiveness for the same thing. Here he is again, you know, uh, turning back to me." And I'll guess I'll, I guess I'll forgive him. I guess I'll uh, do this again. Uh, that's not how God is. Uh, God is certainly just, but He delights. He loves. He, he, he has. He has a, a pleasure and a passion for giving forgiveness to His humble, repentant uh, people. Uh, that's, his, that's his delight. That's his heart. And he, it, it's flowing out of him. Um, that is his, his desire for his, his people. He, he wants to, again, have compassion on us. And it reminds me, again, going back to Jesus, what Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus just asks us to come, to come to him. Um, and he can take care of it. He's he's it's the, like you were talking about earlier. It's that it's this invitation uh, to to Jesus uh, that Jesus gives to us, uh, and then we want to invite Jesus into our lives uh, as well. And God just says, "Come." And I, I here's what I'll do with your sin. I'll 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 put it under my feet. I'll trample on it, and then I'll throw it into the sea. It's far, farther away than you can even imagine. Um. And I like I like uh, the the last part there in verse twenty as well. You will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So this is a this is a a future promise of what God will do, um, the confidence in what God will do. But it's also based in what God has done to the past and His commitment to His covenant and His commitment to to God's. God's people. So uh, like you were saying earlier, when we see this, when we recognize it, and when we see as Christians our blessings in Christ, uh, we can't help but praise God and, and lift his name up and be overwhelmed for uh, a forgiveness and a love and a compassion and a mercy that is really beyond our comprehension. Um, and uh, I think, I mean, what better place can you leave off uh, a, a book than, than this, this striking note of hope that is rooted in, in who God is.
that's the conclusion of the book of Micah. Yeah, it ends on such a such a powerful note, uh, acknowledging how great our God is, and there's not anybody or anything who's like Him. Um, so looking back on all of this, looking back on what we've talked about in these 20 verses, uh, we want to offer a challenge, as is our practice, as we try to do at the end of every podcast episode. I think, Andy, I think you did that last time. I, so I believe it's my turn. It's your turn. Um, so thinking about, and I'm going to, this challenge will be similar to what, to what Andy challenged us to do last week. I hope you found that to be a challenge. That's what we want it to be. Uh, but in a, in a similar vein, if you found that to be helpful, take a second, take a few minutes, maybe after listening to this podcast or before you go to bed tonight, when you wake up in the morning, take a few minutes to think about some promises that God has made to us. What is God going to do for us? What does God promise to do for us? Think about those scriptures that you know, those those verses that immediately pop into your mind. Take some time to jot those things down, to write them on the notes app on your phone, uh, whatever, whether electronically or old-fashioned with pen and paper. Uh, write down those blessings. Write down those promises. What is God going to do for you and then when you write those things down, take some time to talk to God and praise him. Spend some time in prayer talking to God and praising him for how great he is. A prayer that really doesn't have any request in it. A prayer that really uh, where you're not asking for something. A prayer where that's not focused on petition, but a prayer that's focused on praise. Think about those things that God will do for you like Micah did. Write down those verses, write down those thoughts. What is God going to do for you? What kind of promises has God made for you? And then spend some time talking to him, praising him for how great he is. Who is a God like our God? Um, I hope that that's something to us. Andy, would you like to add something to that? No, I, I appreciate that challenge. I think it's a great one. I think we constantly need to be reminding ourselves of the promise promises of God, the goodness, the goodness of God. And I think if, if you, if you want a, a new Testament passage uh, to go along with this passage in Micah to, to guide your thoughts, as you were talking there, I kept thinking about um, Ephesians chapter one, as, as Paul is really, he, he is in a similar vein to Micah. He's just overwhelmed by God's blessings in Christ, by his, goodness by his promises by his plan by his purpose by his mercy by his glory um and i think that would also be a helpful text if as you're doing this challenge to to guide your thoughts to help you reflect and to help you think about um about uh, about who god is and and the 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 praise and the honor that he deserves for that just to name a couple of other texts, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you gave us that one. That's such a rich text in Ephesians 1 about the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Uh, maybe Romans chapter 5 would be another place to go to reflect on some of those promises. Romans chapter 8, uh, and then the, the first part of First Peter chapter 1 uh, might be another good place to go. So, hey, let's, let's add to that. Spend, spend some time in those passages. Think about the promises of God. And then uh, uh, spend some time praising him uh, for how great he is. But Andy, I've enjoyed this study in the book of Micah and enjoyed walking through this with you. Appreciate your insight into it and uh, looking forward to whatever we're going to talk about next week. Yeah, me too. Uh, great conclusion to a great book. Uh, Micah, one of my favorites. I think I said that at the very beginning, one of my favorites in the Old Testament. And I think, I hope our listeners will We'll see, you know, why it's it's so relevant, relevant, and so uh, hope giving and life giving, and, and and it points our attention so clearly to to Christ. And I'm just really grateful that we had uh, this this time to to reflect on this book of Micah, and can't wait to to figure out what we're going to do next. Absolutely, and to our listeners, we want to. Thank you for uh, being with us and uh, for putting up with us now for about 64 and a half minutes. Uh, we're thankful for you and uh, thankful for your, your love for God. And uh, even though we don't know who, who many of you are, I know that uh, both Andy and I both spend uh, some time in prayer for you. 
I hope that this is a beneficial study for you. Andy, have a great rest of the week, and I'll look forward to talking to you next week. All right. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode, connect with us on our private Facebook group called Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast, or send us an email at streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. That's streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.